do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Hey, um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing on with our study. Pastor Sean did a masterful job. Um, Pastor Colin, as we've been going through this book, and um, we're continuing it on as we go through this book all summer. I'm really excited. I think um, the Apostle John has some things to say to us this morning that are going to be um, hopefully freeing for us. We get to experience some freedom um, to understand how the gospel works out in our everyday life as Christians. We're talking about continued intimacy with God. How do we continue or maintain intimacy with God? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So 1 John, if you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the chairs in front of you. If you don't own one, please take it with you. It's our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. Just be sure to read it. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Speaking of Christ. Let's pray. Precious Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's truth. I thank you that we can dedicate our lives to your word, Lord God and our lives be changed forever. I thank you, Lord God, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I thank you that it is a sharp and powerful double-edged sword in the hands of your Holy Spirit, and it divides between the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. Use it to open us up, God, now in the name of Jesus. Use it to change us, to transform us. For we submit our wills and our hearts and our minds to you now and what you want to say to us. Lord, help us not to be hearers of the word only, Lord God, but help us to be doers of your word. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength 
and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Intimacy with God. I grew up in the church, and um, every summer there was an experience that we would have. We would go to summer camp, and all these teenagers would get on a bus, and we'd travel hours and hours away. How many of you guys ever did this growing up? All right, a lot of you. And, uh, you know, there would be lots of music. There'd be late-night games. There'd be lots of sugar and little sleep. And um, usually as that kind of the sleep got less, the sugar got greater, the emotions got higher. And usually in the end of the last night, you know, everyone there's a big fire or something and everyone's supposed to throw their stick in the fire and all that stuff. And everybody starts crying because there's this powerful music. And everyone starts crying and, and, and everyone starts getting right with God and everybody feels something, this intimacy with God. And they think, man, it must be God, you know. And all of a sudden, the guys are like, man, I'm getting right with God. And girls are like, he's getting right with God. And the guy's like, come give me a hug. And then he walks over and he's like hugging the girls. Man, I'm right with God. Hug me, hug me. You know, and there's this emotional thing that happens. You know what I'm talking about? Those of you that all went to camp. And then they come home from camp and what happens? It's like really high for a moment and then it just kind of starts to dwindle off. And it's just not, a, God's just not there. He just doesn't feel, I don't feel God. It's not as, he's not as relational and the intimacy just kind of dwindles. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden you feel like, man, I don't even know if I'm saved. Because I don't feel God anymore. I don't feel that intimacy that I felt. Well, here's the reality. The reality is those emotions wasn't intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is not based upon how we feel. Just like intimacy with my spouse isn't based upon the way I feel about her. Okay? There's sometimes I feel really good about her. And there's other times that we don't feel really great about each other. You know, what she'll burp and I'm just like, man, not attractive. And then I sit in my chair and that starts smelling, oh my goodness, what's going on? And the gas is passed, and she's like, oh, honey. We just don't feel good about each other, and there's just not that intimacy sometimes of how we feel in that moment. But here's the reality. The reality is that intimacy with God, this is the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of God, is that our intimacy isn't based upon us, it's based upon Him. It's based upon the fact that He loves us, that He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us and to bodily rise from the dead three days later. And when we receive this gospel, we repent, believe, and receive, believe the gospel and receive Christ into our lives, our lives are transformed. Now, I remember as a kid receiving Christ. God, come into my life. And then I would go to church... And I would see all of these wonderful people and they were so happy and they were like, God bless your brother. And everybody was just like, man, they must believe the gospel too. And then what would happen is I would sin 
and I would realize, wait a second, I've sinned, and the gospel must not be working for me like it's working for everybody else in the church because they seem that they have their lives together and my life is not together. And so therefore, I must be really, really struggling with the gospel or maybe even not even saved. So the gospel might have worked for them in the church, but it doesn't work for me. So maybe I'm doing something wrong. If you've ever felt that when you sin, how in the world do I continue to fall back into the same sin over and over and over again and be saved? How do I maintain this intimacy with God if I'm really saved? And the Apostle John is addressing this. Last week, we, we talked about if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's this confession piece. But, but I, the Apostle John goes a little further in chapter 2 here. He says, In my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We all go, yes, we may not sin. But more than likely, what do we do? Sin! Man, thank you. You're totally with me. I sin. And so, so therefore, what happens when I sin? So then he says, but, thank God for this, if anyone does sin, that's me. And this is after I've received Christ. See, here's the thing. How can I be saved and continue to sin? The Apostle John is addressing that to us. So don't think if you're saved, you're never going to sin again because I thought if I'm saved, I should never sin again. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What, what's that advocate? The advocate is that he's the go-between. He's the one that communicates to God Hey, that one's mine, God. That one's mine. Well, he really messed up there, yes, but he's still mine. I do that with your kids, right? My kids the other night, man, they took off all their clothes and they're running through the... I'm like, what are you doing? And they were like, we got a hot dad. I'm like, yep, they're mine. They're mine. It's really embarrassing when they're 19 and 20. No, I'm just kidding. Um... They're six, okay, six, six and eight, okay. But they're mine. Or your kids do something really, really, like I can't believe that those are mine. But they're mine. They're mine. Because here's the thing, remember? It, they're my kids. The advocate is that Christ is looking at the Father and saying, nope, they're mine. I died for them. They received me. They believe the gospel. They received the gospel. They're mine. That's why I went to the cross. They're mine. That's the advocate. They're mine. Because here's the thing. God would rather have us messed up than not have us at all, right? And so he, he loves us. And so even when we mess up, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Because here's the deal. In this world, we live in a really, really dirty world. 
even though Christ has cleansed us from our sins, the first John 1 9, he's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. What happens? As I walk through this world, I start to get dirt all over my feet because this world is dirty. Remember Jesus and Peter? When Peter was going to have his, Jesus was going to wash his feet, and Peter goes, Don't wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, I have no, you have no part with me. And then Peter says, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body then. I'm ready to jump into that basin. Jesus goes, just your feet, Peter. Why was he saying that? Because then Jesus says, anyone that's already been cleaned doesn't need to take a bath. We just need to wash the feet. So as we walk through this dirty world, what happens is sin gets on us and we have to deal with it. Okay? And, and so... How do we deal with it now as Christians? Now, if you're not a Christian, you need to repent, believe, and receive the gospel. Okay, what is the gospel? Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. We repent, ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, and, and then we, receive, we believe the, the gospel, and then we receive Christ into our life. Now, here's the beauty of the gospel. When the gospel, when Christ has saved us, we're no longer identified with our sin. Our sin no longer identifies us. Christ identifies us. He becomes our reality. Christ becomes the most important thing in our life and person in our life. And so therefore, what happens is we're no longer a slave to sin, but we're set free because of Christ. But then we sin again after we've been set free from Christ, right? Then what do we do? This is what the Apostle John is telling us. We have an advocate in the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, verse 2, he is the propitiation. Okay, that's a word, propitiation. Circle it, okay? Because I want to define it for you here. We're going to get into this. Propitiation is a two-part act so think about a two-part play where the player involves two things. It appeases the wrath of the offended person and it reconciles them to that person. So the wrath is appeased and reconciliation. Wrath appeased, reconciliation occurs. That's what propitiation is. And so when he says, he, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, meaning the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus so that we could be restored in relationship with Him, with God. So God's wrath poured out upon Jesus and we're reconciled to Him. See, what's, what's amazing here in this Scripture is that we have an advocate. He's not only the advocate, but he's the propitiation. Christ is our advocate. Yes, he's saying that one's mine, but then he's also the propitiation, meaning he's the one that received the wrath of God so that we could have relationship. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. See, the wrath of God is poured out on us because of our sin, if we choose to receive the payment and penalty for our sin. For the wages of sin is death. Okay? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wrath of God could either be poured out upon Jesus or it could be poured out upon us. 
And so Christ, he's our advocate, but he's also the way, the propitiation for our sins. And so I want to define intimacy in this. As you understand this text, I want to define intimacy. It's extreme closeness. It's close knowledge through conversation or observation. Intimacy is this. God sees you, knows you, sees your imperfections, and guess what? He still loves you. He sees all that's broken and messed up about you. And he still loves you. And he still wants to maintain intimacy with you because of Jesus Christ. My son had an interesting understanding of my five-year-old when he was five, my son. And so we were having a conversation, and this is part of the conversation. I asked him, do you want a family? My son said, yes, a big one. I said, will you be a close family? He said, of course. We will all sleep together in the same bed at night. Okay. How will you provide for that family? My son. Well, I want to help people, so I want to be a surgeon. I like the church, so I'm going to be an elder. And I need to make money, so I think I'll have to work at McDonald's. Oh, okay. But the idea of him wanting to be close with his family, wanting to be intimate, and recognizing that to be an intimate family, he has to actually do something, is what we're talking about. It's what the Apostle John is talking about as we continue on. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now that if we keep his commandments part, that's what we're going to talk about. What does it mean to keep his commandments? How do we know we're in continued intimacy with God? How do we know? Because I want to maintain intimacy with God. Now, when my wife and I, and, and, and here's the deal, and I'm not defining intimacy is, you know what I'm talking about, sex. There's kids in here. Um, but I'm talking about intimacy and extreme closeness, close enough knowledge, conversation, that no matter what I do, I'm not going to get unfriended if I say something stupid or if I think something stupid. God doesn't unfriend us. He doesn't unfollow us. He doesn't, he doesn't look and go, well, you're, I'm done with you now. He doesn't boycott us. No, no, all of a sudden, God is intimate with us, and he maintains that intimacy with us because of his son, Jesus Christ. But then how then do we keep his commandments? And so there's three check marks that, that I want to give you this morning. It's the list. Write these down. Ask yourself these questions on a daily basis because this will maintain and continue the intimacy. The first one is this. Am I keeping a short tab with God concerning my sin? See, when I sin with my wife, my wife sure lets me know it. Sometimes with God... When I sin with God, the Holy Spirit also lets me know it. He lets me know it. But am I keeping a short tab with God concerning my sin? Sin must be dealt with continually in order to keep the relationship. You have to deal with the sin continually in order to keep the relationship. That's why the first part of this, of, of this book if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember that that's in our head as we continue to read. Remember there weren't any chapters when John's writing this letter. It's just this continual flow of thought. 
And so we, we, we have to keep a short tab concerning our sin. Why is that? Because sin breaks the relationship, the communication. Psalm chapter 66, verses 18 through 20, David, the psalm writer, understood this. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, oh God, you don't hear my prayer. The Lord will not hear me. So if I'm holding on to unconfessed, unrepentant sin, and my sin is closer to me than God, then how can I have a relationship, a continued intimate relationship with God? It would be like having a, another woman standing between my wife and I, and I want that woman closer to me than my wife. That sounds ludicrous, right? But that's what we do with our sin. We pull it closer to us than we pull Christ. And that breaks up the relationship. It's not that, that, it's not that Christ isn't there. It's not that God isn't there. But the intimacy isn't there because the sin, I want the sin closer to me than I want Christ. And so I have to keep a short tab. Uh, and the way that I keep a short account or a short tab is that I confess my sins and I say, listen, I want that sin, but God, Christ, I want you more. And so I confess this sin so that I can continually be reconciled with him. Even though I've been reconciled with him, I'm continually reconciled with him because of my own choices. And why is this? And this is, this is go back to the propitiation. It's because he is our propitiation for our sin. The wrath of God was poured out upon Christ. And so because of that, I can have a relationship with him. The wrath of God wasn't poured out on me, although it should be, and it should have been. One of my favorite stories is in Numbers chapter 25. The Israelite walks in to the camp with a Moabite woman, and they go into the camp to do improper relations, okay, in the middle of the camp. And Phineas, the, the, the son of of the high priest, okay? He takes a spear and he puts it through the Israelite and the Moabite woman while they're having relations. And the Bible says that the blood spills out and the wrath of God was appeased that day because of the blood that was spilled out of the Israelite man and the Moabite woman. And we look at this and we go, wow, Phineas, not verb, Phineas, Phineas! That's who I am. And we put ourselves in the, 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 the action of the hero sometimes when we read the Old Testament, but the reality is, where's Christ in this? No, we're the Israelite, and we deserve the spear. Right? We're the ones that are in sin. That has to be paid to appease God. But instead of God taking the spear and spearing us, the Bible says that God took the spear and speared his son so that we could be reconciled to God. That we didn't have to pay for the, our sin, but Christ paid for our sin. That God paid for our son through Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. 
And so therefore, because he set me free, and I don't have to pay for the sin that I've committed because Christ paid for it on the cross. Remember when he stood up and he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And he died. His death brought my freedom and my life. And so because of that, therefore, the response is that I should keep short account with this God because even though I'm in the family, even though he's made me alive and set me free, it doesn't mean that I still don't take people and take my sin and take it closer to me than I take Christ. Why? Because we were born in sin and we continue in sin and we won't be set free in sin until we stand before God. And so therefore, I need to keep short account. Am I keeping short tab with God concerning sin? So therefore, the wrath of God was poured out on His Son, Jesus Christ, and not me. His Son was speared. He was pierced for our transgressions. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 says. The second check mark is this. So the Apostle John then says, and by this we will know, come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him. I always have an elf moment when I read that. I know him! Santa! I know him! But if we say we know him to Christ, but we don't keep his commandments, we're liars. And the truth is not in him. Whatever, whoever keeps his word that's the second check mark is the word of God mastering my life whoever keeps his word is the word of God mastering my life now this word word two, two things you can look at this in regards to the word of God but also keeping your word like let your yes be yes and your no no I keep my word But I'm using it in the first sense of, is the Word of God mastering my life? It's not that I master the Word of God or know what the Word of God says, but does the Word of God master me? Am I submitting to the Word of God as I read it every day? Am I reading it every day is the question. And am I submitting to what it says? Am I trying to do what it says? John 17, 17 the Bible says, sanctify them. Jesus is talking to, in his prayer, his high priestly prayer, and he says, sanctify them in thy word, in the word. Your word is truth. Second Timothy 3, 15. And from... And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, talking of the scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So when we read the scripture, it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Keep going. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Is the word of God mastering my life? Am I, 
translated, am I doing what the Word of God says? So this implies two things. One, I need to be reading it, and then I need to look at it and say, okay, how can I live this out in my life today? James 1.22, be not hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word. Do I act on what I read in the Scripture every day? If I'm not, then the question that I always ask myself, it, it would be like somebody that gets married. My wife and I get married, and I look at my wife, and I say I do, and I kiss her, and I, better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health, and I say I'm totally committed to you. But I want to live in a set, and then we, we, we walk out together, and then I look and I say I want to live in a set, but we live in a separate house, and I only see her once a week on Sunday. There's no intimacy in that. There's no intimacy in that relationship because we're living in separate houses. We're kind of living our own lives and I only see her once a week. And you go, yeah, that's a horrible marriage. Well, so here's, here's the question. In your relationship with God, is Sunday morning the only time you get intimate with God? Because if that's the only time you get intimate with God, then what kind of an intimate relationship is that? Oh God, you're the most important person in my life. Lord Jesus, you're the most important person in my life, but I only come and get intimate with you once a week. No, what it means to be a doer of the word. Am I a doer of the word? Do I act on what I read in the scripture every day? Is the Word of God mastering my life? Check mark number three. And this is based upon verse six. And so here's the deal. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, it says love of God is perfected, not the holiness of God is perfected. And this is important. Before I transition, I, I want to I say this. The love of God is perfected, not the holiness of God. Now, why is that important? Because the holiness of God was perfected through His Son, Jesus Christ. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus, and the holiness of God was perfected in that. The love of God is perfected in us. Why is this important? Because, remember Jesus, when He's at the table, and the woman comes in, and she's weeping over His feet, and she's taking her hair, and she's washing His feet with her tears and her hair? And He says this, he who has been forgiven much loves much because he forgives her of her sin and everybody's kind of upset about that. And Jesus said, he who's been forgiven much loves much. So what he's saying here, what, what John is saying here and he's writing to us is he's saying the love of God is perfected in us when we try to follow his word. so that we, we recognize that we've been forgiven much, so that we love much. It, 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 it works within us that the love, of, love for Christ becomes more and more and more because we've recognized we've been forgiven so much and the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. And so the more that we read the Word of God, the more that we realize, man, I've really, really messed up. I'm really, really not living what this Bible says. It's really, really not mastering my life. 
And so therefore, I need to live for, in forgiveness. God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. Have you ever read the Bible and go, I didn't even know that was a sin? Oh my goodness. God, forgive me. And then you realize God's forgiven us for so much that we don't even aware of how much he's forgiven us. And so what happens is that perfects our love for him. And when we love him more, because we realize we've been forgiven much, we love him more. And when we love him more, it changes the way that we live. The more I love my wife, the more I want to give to her. The more I get to know my wife, the more I want to be generous with her with everything. And so check mark number three then flows out of this in verse six when he says, whoever says he abides in him, Christ, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So I like what the King James translates this. It says, whoever claims to be in Christ must walk as Jesus walked. So if you claim to be in Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, then you must walk like Jesus walked. And so what that means is Christ must abide in me. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abided me and I in him, the same bring forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So the abiding part, think about it this way. It's, it's, it's tea, okay? If I had a, a cup, I took a tea bag and I put it in cold water. Okay, is the tea going to permeate the water? Not really. Have you ever had cold tea? It's awful. It's not even strong. So what do you have to do to get the tea bag to permeate throughout the water so that the tea bag and the water are almost one? You got to heat it up, right? And so for those that claim to be in Christ must walk as Jesus walked, it means that we have to take the way of the cross. We have to not stop shunning from suffering and hardships and difficulties in our life, but we need to press in and we need to embrace them. Because only in hardship when the heat is turned up does Christ, the teabag, permeate us the water. It means this, that we're going to love our enemies, as Jesus said. We're going to start with this one. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We're going to forgive those that offend us. How about we just try that? That's a novel idea. If we just all decided we were going to forgive everybody that's offended us and just be done, we're going to forgive them. Don't we live in a world of like shun? Unfriend, unfollow, boycott. Unfriend, unfollow. Isn't that the world we live in? If they don't like, if we don't like what they're saying, then we're done with them, right? But to walk as Jesus walked is to say, I love Christ, and I want to live my life like Christ lived, and that means when I'm suffering, I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm going to walk in the freedom that he's given me and I'm going to forgive them in hopes that they come to know Jesus because they're probably offending you because they don't know what they're doing. The heat of life brings out a stronger Christ in our hardships, our pain, our tension, and our uncomfort. If you don't believe me, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 3, verse 10. He says, 
I love this. He says, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That if you really, really want to know Christ, you have to suffer. Now, that's not a really popular thing. But let me share something with you. It's in suffering that the heat is turned up, that Christ becomes so much greater and strong. When I, when I was 23 and I got cancer, I was like, what? I thought God loved me. No, the reality is he loved me so much that he wanted to take me through this, and I realized that he was so much closer. That's why David says in Psalm 26 that God is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves those that have a crushed spirit. God is never more close to you when you feel like your life is falling apart than when everything is going well. And this is, what's, uh, this is what's amazing, because when your life is falling apart, that's when people are really watching you. Is God real? Is what you have intimate? Is what you have honest? Not when things are going well, but when things are going poorly. Am I truly saved is the question. If Christ must abide in me and he abides in me, then I have to ask the question, am I really saved? And how do I know I'm really saved? And there's three quick litmus tests. And ask yourself these questions. Can, can I sin and feel no guilt or conviction of the Holy Spirit? If I can sin and not feel any guilt of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, let me share something with you. You might not be saved. Number two, do I desire and want to seek God? From, that's John 16, 8, by the way. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction. Number two, do I desire and want to seek God? Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It is written, none is righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's no one that seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So if I desire and want to seek God, then there's this sense that God is in me, drawing me, because the Bible says no one comes to God unless the God draws them, okay? Number three, do I know and obey what I know about his word? And, and that's here in John, 1 John chapter 2. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And I'm talking about unrepentant sin. See, Christ bought us to set us free. The wrath of God was poured out on his son to set us free. He spent everything, his life, to set us free. That's where the intimacy is found. And the worship team is going to come. I want to, I want to close with this story, and I know I'm over, but I, I just have to share this story. There was a, a miner, and he, he made his fortune in the 1800s, and he was coming back. This was before the Civil War, and he was coming back, and he comes through to go back to England. He was from England, and he had made his fortune, and he had a bag of gold he was going to take back to England and start his life over again. And he goes through New Orleans, and he's caught in the middle of a slave market. And the, the, this young girl gets up, and, and they're bidding on her. And he's disgusted by what he sees. And they're bidding back and forth on this young girl. And, 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 and he's just overwhelmed. This is awful. 
How can anybody do this and let this happen? And so he, he bids higher than anybody to buy this one girl. And the guy's like, whatever. He looks kind of like a dusty miner. He doesn't have that money. And he says, come up here. He shows him. He pours out half of his bag of gold on the, the table. And the guy goes, sold. The girl comes off the stage as the miner is grabbing her. And she spits in his face. And she says, I hate you. And he takes her, and he walks through the streets. And as he's walking through the streets, he goes to this lawyer's office. And in the lawyer's office, he's having this conversation as the girl is waiting outside and looking in the window. And there's an argument that takes place. And he, she sees him take out the rest of his gold and pour it out on the table. The guy goes into the back. He gets some paper. He writes some things down. He stamps some things. He pulls, the, gets the paper. He walks outside. He hands it to the girl. And he says, these are your papers for freedom. And he walks away. Trying to figure out what just happened, she realizes that she's now free and no one can own her and has the documentation to be free. And so she runs after him and he says, no, you don't understand. You're free. You don't owe me anything. And she falls down on his feet, weeping, and she says, you bought me to set me free. She says, all I want to do is serve you now. Christ died on the cross and spilt his blood to set you free from the penalty of sin and the wrath of God. And the response now is that we should want to serve him in obedience to his word. And if that is not our response, then there's a sin in our life that is keeping us from that. And it's time for us to confess that sin and to be free from it so that we can serve him and love him and follow him and say, you bought me to set me free. There's nothing that I won't give you. There's nothing that's not yours. Everything that I am and everything that I hope to be and everything that I own is all yours. Do I have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ by means of the gospel? What check mark are you missing in your life? And how can I find accountability to keep that box? There'll be people up here afterwards that want to pray with you. When we're singing, you come up here. You live in that freedom. Live in that forgiveness. There's people in the prayer chapel that would love to take a Bible and pray with you. If you've never invited Christ into your life, He bought you to set you free. Respond to that. And give him your life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth that's found in your word, Lord God. Help us to submit to your word. Help us to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, give us the courage and the strength to be obedient to your word, Lord. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.